0: But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law of the prophets testified. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies, the man who has faith in Jesus. Precious Father, I ask this morning, as we open your word, that Lord, as we look at you as Savior God, there are some concepts in here that are really hard at times to understand. And God, especially in a context like this, where for 60% of us, English is our second language. Holy Spirit, would you take the words of your servant and would you allow them to be so easy to understand? Would you allow the hearts of those who, for English, isn't their second, isn't their first language, would you allow us to understand it and be able to take it into our hearts? And Lord God, it's all about you. We glorify you and ask that, God, you would speak to our hearts this morning exactly what it is that you have for us. And in advance, I give you the glory, for I know that, God, you're going to speak. And we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As a church, as a church, we are part of what's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This is our logo. How many of you, if this is the first time you've ever seen this logo? Just go ahead and put your hands up. Okay? Some of you have been coming to church here for a long time, and it's the first time you've ever seen this logo. This is the logo of the Christian Mission Alliance, the denomination of which we are part of. And it's what we call the fourfold gospel, because it focuses on first the cross. Is Christ our Savior. That's what we're looking at this week because we're talking about this series is talking about who do you say that I am answering life's most important question. Last week we said the most important question you will ever answer in this world is who do you say that I am. And as we look at that today we're going to be looking over the next four weeks at who do we say that he is. He is Savior. The second one we see is he's our sanctifier. He's the one who makes us holy. What that represents is the laver, and we're going to talk about that. The laver you find talked about in, in Exodus. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's in Exodus, but the laver was made of the mirrors of the women. The women gave up their mirrors and they were pounded into this laver. And what it was, it was filled with water, so that the priests, when they came to do the ceremonial cleaning, they had to look into the water, and it was a way of reminding themselves of their sinfulness and washing that away. So Christ is the one who makes us holy. The next one is Christ our healer. And the last one is Christ our coming king. And surrounding that is the world. Christ came into the world. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony. And then will the end come. Our founder, A.B. Simpson, so believed in this that he, that he, that he sent out people. And some of the first places that he sent missionaries to were Africa, but also to China. And to China and, and to the Philippines as well. There are missionaries that were sent. And one of our driving forces as the Christian Missionary Alliance is missions. Now, but today I want to look at Christ our Savior. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why? Why? Well, what, what did his death accomplish? And what really happened at the cross? And in order to understand that, I want to look at three terms today. And for some of you, okay, just, just hold with me because I'm really going to explain what they mean. The first one is justification. The second one is redemption. And the third one, this is one that English as a second language speakers, a lot of us as English as a first language, we don't know what this word, word means. It's the word propitiation. What on earth does that mean? And we're going to find out that's a huge, that's a huge word that means a lot. But what I want to look at first is that word justification. Justification is a legal term. It's a legal term, and it was what it involved was, it was involved a judge, who in this case was God, rendering legal guilt or innocence to an individual, in this case a sinner. And in our lives, we can't be acquitted. We can't be declared not guilty on the basis of our own righteousness. Why? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, 10 to 12 says this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together the become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I want to come back to something for everyone. to just put a parenthesis around something for a second. When it says no one seeks God, that's a huge thing to hear. Because when somebody comes up to you and ask you, hey, tell me about that church that you go to. Hey, I'm interested. I see you reading the Bible. Tell me about that. Or, hey, would you pray for me? Or, I've got questions about the Bible. When you hear things like that, your antenna should go up and you say, oh, 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 God is working. Why? Because there is none righteous. No one seeks after God. When somebody begins to ask those questions, that's God at work in their lives because God is pursuing them to have a relationship with them, a relationship that is real, that is personal, and is based upon His love. So when God, when you hear that kind of language... That's God opening the door up to you and saying to you, join me in what I'm already doing. Because Jesus said, my father is always at his work, even to this day. John 5, 17 is where he's talking about that. So when you hear that kind of language, that's God inviting you to join him. That's, that's extra. You can, that's just a little extra here. But there it says that there's none righteous. There's nothing we can do. To merit salvation. There is not a one of us that's good enough to stand before God and where God says, Oh, you're good enough in your own righteousness to stand before it. Why? Because also we read in Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There is none of us that can stand before God. So God had to, since we cannot be, since we cannot be um, declared, declared not guilty, God had to do that. And how did God do that? God did that through his son. But hear this. Here's another big word. God had to impute. God had to impute. His, what, what is that? What does it mean to impute righteousness? I'll give you an example. Okay, I'm going to give Brian. I'll use Brian Lowther here as an example. I'm going to give Brian $100,000 Hong Kong. I got it and I write yeah, you they pay me well here. I write out the check and I give it to Brian. And Brian and I go down to, down to Citibank and, and they look at the check and they look at me and they look at my account and they say, okay, he's got the money in there. And I give that money over to him. I imputed, I imputed that money from my account into Brian's account. The only problem is I can only do that once. But God, what he did for you, hear this, this is so cool. What God did for you was he imputed the righteousness of Christ. He took all of the righteousness of Christ and put it into your account. He declared you by doing that. He declared you not guilty. And one day we will stand before God and God will look at us. And what will he see? He will see the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen? All of the righteousness of Christ has been laid to your account. You are justified in Him. And Romans chapter five verse one says that having peace with God. Or, uh, Romans chapter five verse one. Let me get it correctly here. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one through His Son Jesus Christ who declares us not guilty. He takes all of the righteousness of Christ. And he lays it to your account. Amen? Amen. If it doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet right now. I want you to do something. On the back side of your your outline there, there's a blank piece of paper. What I want you to do on that is I want you to put up at the top the word God. On the left-hand side, the word Christ. And on the bottom, you can put either man or you can put your name there. And then I want you to draw a line. I want you to draw a line from God down to man. And on that line, you, draw, you write the word justified or justification. You were declared not guilty. You were declared not guilty. Why? Not on the basis of your righteousness. It says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, when the love and mercy of God appeared. I love the way it talks. That's, that's Christ. When the love and mercy of Christ appeared, He saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of His mercy. It is because of his mercy that God took all of the righteousness of Christ and put it into our account. He imputed it into our account. The second second thing that, that we see about what Christ did for us is he redeemed us. Redemption is a commercial term, and it means to buy something back, like the buying of a slave out of bondage in order to set him free. And it contains the idea that a price has been paid for that which was held captive at the cross at the cross Christ bought us back or we were bought back we were redeemed from our old way of life we read in 1 peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or without state, without defect you were you were redeemed did you catch what it says you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Do you remember what your life was like before Christ? Do you remember the emptiness? Do you remember the days when you, just, you, you wake up with a hangover? And you remember, what on earth am I doing? you remember just that emptiness? Christ sets you free from that. And here's the thing. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it is a commercial term, but it's a term that they pick out of an accounting. It's an accounting term. And when it says that he redeemed us, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Therefore count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And it says, When the Son of Man, uh, John chapter 6 says, When the Son of Man set you free, it, what does it say? You are what? Free indeed. You have been redeemed. Not only have you been justified, not only have you been declared not guilty. But you have also been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it said, and if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Now let me ask this question of you. Are you? You have been redeemed, but for some of us, we're redeemed. We've been set free. But for some of us, we're so consumed with worry. Does God love me? Does God really care for me? And we think of, and whenever we're tempted to think, does God love me, where do we go? I say, you'll hear me say this a thousand times while I'm your pastor. Whenever we think about, does God truly love me? Where do we go? We go back to the cross. Because it's at the cross that God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the situation. It says, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, as a pastor, coming up on 31 years now being a pastor, and I've done a lot of funerals, and every time I stand in front of the casket, that person inside that casket is dead. There is nothing they can do to change their situation. They're dead. After that ceremony, we're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to put them into the ground. God says, when you are dead in your trespasses and sin, He made you alive. He made you alive. He redeemed you. And for some of us, we've been redeemed, but we're living as though we're still dead. We're still, connected. we're still connected back to that old way of life. For some of us, we long to be free of that desire to look at pornography. For others of us, we long to desire to be free of the hate and the bitterness that, that we have in our hearts. Has Christ set you free? Uh, has He set you free? Yes, He has. Then why are we still a slave To the old way of life. And for some of us, it's coming to that place today of saying, I have been set free. And we're going to talk a huge amount about this next week. I have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. I am no longer a slave to that. In Jesus' name, I am a child of the Most High God. And for some of us, it's claiming that fact. I am your child, God, that no longer has mastery over me. Because here's the thing. Here's where it's an accounting term. For some of you, you are accountants. And so you know this is an easy one. It took it from this ledger over here where you're dead and put you over here in the ledger of where you're alive. That's what he did for you at the cross. He redeemed you. Now take out your, little, out your triangle diagram second time. And you want to draw a line from Christ to man. Christ redeemed you. He set you free. And under that, you write redemption. Now this is the one that's, that's a little bit harder. Because this one is propitiation. And what on earth does propitiation... I can't hardly even say it. Propitiation. It's a religious term. And it means to turn away the wrath of God. Roman First John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice. For some of us, instead of propitiation, they use atoning sacrifice. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, well, this is a term... That, that when it's, it's talked about, it's taken out of Greek mythology because the Greek gods were more like exaggerated human beings. They would get jealous. They would get involved with, with sexual relationships with other gods. They would get, and when they would get angry, which was often, the worshipers of those gods had to figure out, how do I appease the wrath? What sacrifice do I have to give so as to turn the wrath away from that god? And here's where it gets interesting. Now this term is used of God. Because here's something that we don't realize. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We know that God is love. But God is also angry. And that, that's a tough one. Why is God angry? He's angry with sin. He's angry with sinners. Why? Because God is holy. We're going to learn more about that next week. He is not just holy. He is not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. In, in English, when we want to when we want to emphasize something on a computer, maybe you want to emphasize a word. I have it here in my outline. When I want to emphasize something, I put it in bold. I put it in italics, and then I even put an underline. I might even put, I might even highlight that. I want to emphasize it. Sometimes we want to emphasize that something's really good. In English, we'll put a bunch of exclamation points behind it. I don't know what you do in Tagalog. I don't know what in Cantonese or Mandarin what you what you do. But when Scripture wanted to, put, to make some something and emphasize something that was really good, it repeated it. And it repeats here about God. He's not just love, love, love. He's, it doesn't say that He's love, love, love. He is love. It doesn't say that He's mercy, mercy, mercy. There's only one time of all of the characteristics of God that are pointed out three times, and it's this one. It's the holiness of God. Two times in Isaiah... And in Revelation, we find the angel saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when Isaiah sees him in Romans, in in Isaiah chapter 6, what did he say? He said, Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. When he saw Christ, when he saw God seated on the throne and lifted up, what did he do? He realized who he was. And God is holy. And because God is holy, because God is just, because God is righteous, he cannot simply just turn a deaf eye, a deaf ear away from sin. Sin has to be dealt with. And the wrath of God needs to be, needs to be taken care of. And here's where now this word comes in, and the idea in the Greek language comes in. Because God had to find a way to assert his wrath. God had to find a way to deal with his wrath. And the only sacrifice, if you're sleeping right now, this is a really good time to wake up. The only way to deal with that, the only sacrifice given for that was what? Was his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Does God love you? That is without question. Because at the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross, hear this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you remember right, what what was going on when he said that? It was dark, wasn't it? It was dark. And there's even historical evidence for that time when it was dark. For over three hours, it was dark. And in that time, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in that time as he hung on the cross all of the wrath of God the wrath that was meant for me the wrath that was meant for us the wrath that was meant for all mankind was laid upon his son Jesus Christ at that time. And God in that short time turned his back from his son. And Jesus bore the wrath of God so that we could be so that we could be atoned so that our sins could be atoned for. At the cross that's what Christ did for us. Now take out your, out your diagrams one more time and draw a line from Christ to God. And on that line, you write propitiation. He paid the price. Now, look, look at this diagram. Where are all the arrows going? One's going toward man, another one's going toward man, and one's going up toward God. What part does man have in all this? He doesn't. He doesn't. All of this was done for us. All of this was done for us before any of us. It says, before any of us ever came to God, God did this for us. So how do we, how do we get this? Do we, just, do we just get this, or must we receive it? We must receive it. There are no second-generation Christians. If you grew up in a Christian home, just because you grew up in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a, make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car, right? Right? But sometimes we think, hey, if I just go to church, if i just born into a Christian family. The only way to receive this, the only way, to re- only way to receive this is to ask God for it. Because here's the thing. When Jesus dies on the cross, the last words that he says, one word in Greek, tetelestai. It's three words in English. It is is finished. Everything, Father, that you asked of me to do, and it wasn't just with a, it wasn't just, oh, it's finished. It says with a loud cry, he said these words, it is finished. All that you asked me to do is done. And the moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ, that moment, hey, stick with me here, that moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all of this is done for you. You are justified. You are redeemed. God's wrath is taken away from you. You become his child that moment that you pray to receive Jesus Christ. What greater love has no man than this, than he laid on his life for a friend. That's what was done for us. Jesus is our Savior. For some of us this morning, there's some of you, I don't know. There's some of you, that's the first time I've seen you. So I don't know where you stand with God. So, I'm going to ask this question that I ask a lot. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because one day you will stand before God the Father, and the question that will be asked of you is not did you go to church? Not did you sing in the choir? Not did you take communion? Not were you baptized? Not were you confirmed? The question that will be asked of you is this what did you do with the gift that I gave you? What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Have you received him? If you have received Him, are you free? Are you living as though you're free, or are you living still as a slave to that old way of life? If you haven't received Him, God is giving you an opportunity. And we never know, this may be our last opportunity to receive that gift of Christ. If you've never received Him, I want to give you an opportunity. At the end, when we go to prayer, if you've not prayed to receive Christ, I want to invite you to pray. Say, what do I have to do? Three things. Four things, actually. You need to repent. That means you've got to turn. You've got to turn from what it was that you are doing. You've got to turn. It's a 180-degree turn. You have to admit that you need a Savior. You have to admit that you're a sinner. And fourthly, you have to receive the gift. You say, well, that, that's too simple. It's a gift. And it's a gift meant for you to receive. If you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to have, play a song. We're not going to have a, a final song. I want to play you a song. Uh, Chris Tomlin, for some of you, it's a brand new song. And it's an easy song to sing to. If you want to join in, the words are going to be up there. But the song is called, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? And it talks about Christ. and it talks about um, what he's done for us. And when we finish up, then I want to go to prayer. And I want to just spend some time in worship of him. But then as well, I want to invite you, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, to have that opportunity to receive him. So if we could have that song, please. And the words go a little fast, so I'm sorry because of the the distance.
1: a new creation coming. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we i